One metaphor is in verses 3 and 4. One metaphor is in verse 5. And one metaphor is in verse 6. And we are going to take them one at a time over the next three weeks. So we're in verses 3 and 4 this morning. But in order to get an understanding of <coughs> verses 3 and 4, we're going to have to understand chapter 1. So I'm going to reference it, but I'm only going to read verses 1 through 7 this morning. But we will reference one through uh, chapter 1 in its entirety in various spots during the during the message. But starting in verse 1, if you follow along, of chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete, this is metaphor two, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And then metaphor three, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. In order to truly understand verses 3 and 4, as well as verse 5, as well as verse 6, we're going to have to remember everything that's come before. So let me just start by reviewing with you. Remember, Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy, and Timothy is a pastor. Timothy is a pastor of a church that's exploding in growth and doing everything it's supposed to do, and he's, his church is absolutely amazing. It is stunning. It is the church that every other church wants to pattern themselves by. Not even close. Yeah, yeah I wrote a different translation. Paul is writing to a, a guy, Timothy, who's a pastor of a church that's going through horrible things. And Paul, later on in the book, is going to tell, them, you think, tell him, you think it's bad now, just wait. It's going to get a whole lot worse. In a very real way, the church he's writing to may actually be heading towards its death throes. We know that most of Paul's, if not all of the churches Paul planted, went through death rows shortly after his death. Uh, they did not last long. Churches tend not to do well over time. Paul's writing to Timothy. It's not hopeless. It's not hopeless at all. Because it's not about the situation you find yourself in. It's about your relationship with Jesus. Are you a recipient of God's love or are you not? That's the issue at hand. And as a matter of fact, it's not only the issue at hand in Paul's day to Timothy, it's an issue of all days to all believers. And so Paul writes to Timothy not about how to fix his church. And you'll find that throughout the entire book. He doesn't write to Timothy about how to fix his church. It doesn't show up. His whole book is all about writing to Timothy about how to be faithful. If times are good, times are bad. Timothy is what it looks like to be faithful. So it's important that we hear this. As I've said the last couple of weeks, I'll say it again this morning. Paul writing to the pastor Timothy in a book that we have labeled as pastoral, one of the three pastoral epistles is not really just for pastors. I was talking to a pastor today. He said, where are you preaching? I said, I'm in 2 Timothy. He said, ah, the pastor's favorite book. And I said, no, it actually ought to be every Christian's favorite book or one of them. It's not just for pastors. 
It's not even close. So it's important that we hear it from that perspective. You'll notice that he says in verses 1 and 2, first, as we talked about last week, he said, be strengthened by the graces in Christ Jesus. We don't find strength in a church doing well. We don't find strength in a ministry that is functioning effectively. People's lives are transformed. We find ourselves only legitimately strengthened by the grace that we receive in Christ Jesus. And in light of that, we minister. Verse 2. But it's interesting what he does in verse 3. After challenging Timothy to find his strength in Christ Jesus and then minister to faithful men who are faithful people who will minister to others also, which we talked about last week, he immediately changes the tune. In verse 3, what does he do? He changes it by saying, share in what? Hardship or suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's an interesting shift. Because see, verse 1 sounds kind of exciting, doesn't it? Enjoy the grace. Be strengthened in the grace of Jesus Christ. Woo! That's awesome. And minister to faithful people. Yes! Who will then do what? Teach others also who, the idea is those unfaithful will become faithful. Woo! Sounds exciting. And all of a sudden, you just like run headlong into a wall. Share in suffering. Kind of a radical statement in comparison to verses 1 and 2. You'd expect, be strengthened in grace, teach faithful men, who will then do what? Teach others also. And enjoy the blessing of God. That's what you kind of expect next. Don't you? I want to remind you chapter 1. After Paul talked about grace, he says right after talking about grace and then the fan into flame the gift of God, verse 6, which is in in you through the laying on my hands, he says, verse 7, for God has given us a spirit not of Fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's an interesting curve when you really look back on it now. He's writing to Timothy, ministering to supposed believers. And he says to them, he says to Timothy, in light of your ministry to the church, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. Fear of what? It's an important question. Now, we talked about that fear a number of weeks ago. But fear of what? Well, we know it's not a fear, but of power and love and self-control. But what does he do next in verse 8 of chapter 1 and following? Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his... Well, there gives us a hint prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then he talks later on in chapter 1, verse 12, which is why I, 
what? Verse 12. Suffer the way I do. So Paul's going through lots of suffering for the gospel. And that suffering for the gospel for Paul is because he's doing what? What's Paul's role? He's preaching the gospel to who primarily? Unsaved people. Right? He's, now he's preaching to some people once they get saved, but primarily he's preaching to unsaved people, and he's primarily suffering, now he does suffer from believers, but he's primarily suffering from unbelievers, right? Does that make sense? He's primarily suffering from unbelievers, being thrown in prison and being beaten primarily by unbelievers. He writes to Timothy, though, to share in his sufferings in chapter 1. doesn't mean that it's going to be exactly the same type of suffering. But what he does in verse 3 of chapter 2, jump back down there, after he says, be strengthened by the grace, don't be strengthened, ergo, don't be strengthened by your situation, by how well your church is doing, by any of the other things, by how well your ministry is going. Be strengthened by the graces in Christ Jesus, and then minister in light of the grace you're receiving to faithful people who will teach others also. But then verse 3 brings us to our text today sh to share in suffering. What was that all about? Well, it's a good reason why Paul tells Timothy to share in suffering. What's the good reason? Because suffering doesn't only come from those out there. You receive difficulty, you receive persecution, you receive hatred, you receive ridicule, you receive rejection, you receive that type of stuff from people out there, the lost, the world, the unsaved community. But what Paul is arguing to Timothy, you also will be re a recipient of those things where? Right here. Right here. He's telling Timothy, expect it. Now, but it's based upon two things. So you've got to hear those two things in order to realize why you'd receive suffering. Number one, you're being strengthened where? In the grace that you're receiving from Christ Jesus. The grace in Christ Jesus. So if you're being, Paul's argument is if you're being strengthened in the grace of Christ Jesus, that is in Christ Jesus, that is you're being built up by the grace of God, that God is ministering to you, that Christ is growing you as he's promised to do, right? Because as we talked about in our Sunday school hour, the righteous shall what? Live by faith, and it's from faith to faith, to greater faith, growing and, and, and maturing in Christ. That's the way of things. For those who are believers, they grow and change and become more and more like Christ, more and more like their new father God, less than like their old father Satan. That's the argument in John and Ephesians and everywhere else. If that is true... And if that, if that is true for you because you are saved, then it will be true for you because you are saved, because he is the giver of grace to those who are in him. So Paul writes to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The idea is that grace that is flowing to you. Don't be deceived by anything else. Be strengthened. Find your strength in him. And if you do, 
minister. We said it last week. It's the evidence you're receiving grace. You're ministering. Faithful men who will minister to others also. You're pouring your life. You're, 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 you're pointing to people to Jesus. And you're helping people love Jesus and know Jesus. That's what happens if you're a recipient of God's grace. It happens. But understand this. If you are being strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, something is going to happen. You know what it is? In the church, Paul is telling Timothy, in the church, there is going to be a group of people who aren't being strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's the idea of the text and the whole book. The idea of the whole book, and as a matter of fact, the whole 66 books that make up the book called the Bible is that, we talked about it again this morning again, is that when it comes to true Christians, not all Israel is what? Israel. And quite to the contrary, God preserves what? A faithful or small remnant. He preserves a faithful remnant. That's why I've said for many, many years, in any given church, the church is not really the church. What you see visually with the church is really a crowd. And within that crowd, there's always going to be a smaller group of people, a remnant. And that remnant are those who are being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because uh, if I am in Christ, I'm going to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I mean, think about it for a second, if you would, going back to verse 1 again. If he's the vine and I'm the branches, and if I'm grafted into the vine, where am I getting my life from? The vine. Does that make sense? So I'm if I'm grafted in the vine, the vine's Christ, I'm the branch. That means grace is flowing from Christ to me, right? I'm receiving my strength from Christ. If that is true, if I'm a believer, that is true. The command, of course, in verse 1 is not to get grace from Christ. It's to enjoy the grace you're receiving, to revel in the grace you're receiving, fellowship in the grace you're receiving. And as a result of that, when you're receiving that strength, that grace from Christ, you will minister to others. If those two things are true, because you are in Christ, they would be. So if you're in Christ, then you this will be you. Then the result is what? Verse 3. You will what? You know, before you get to that, you will what? Share in suffering. Now, there's two things about that. Number one, they'll be suffering. Why is there suffering? Because there's a group of people that's larger than the true church. Call it the invisible church, if you will. There's a group of people who claim to be in Christ but are not. For example, in that day, Matthew chapter 6, in that day there will be many that will say, Lord, Lord, and he will say what? Depart from me, I never knew you. And they'll say, but wait a second, stop. Didn't we do all these things in your name? And he said, no, you missed the point. I never knew you. Did you do stuff? Yes, you did stuff, but I never knew you. We were never in a relationship. You were never redeemed. You were never saved. 
Now, if you're living in the strength, because he saved you, you will be, if he, if he did save you, because you're receiving grace from God, you're being strengthened by the graces in Christ Jesus, the result will be, because of the strength you're giving, you're being given in the grace from Christ, you will minister. Understand there's people you're going to try to minister who will what? They'll hate what you're doing. They'll hate the ministry. They will reject the ministry. They will reject the word of God declared. It's not that they'll reject your opinions. Let's not get deceived for a second. We're not talking about Republican Democrats. We're not talking about, we're not talking about uh, any other type of categories. We're talking about what has God declared, right? Please don't miss that suffering for Jesus is because you have all sorts of other conflicts. Those other conflicts are called sin, and it's probably both parties involved. What we're talking about here is you are, by the grace you're receiving, you're being strengthened, therefore you're ministering, and there's going to be a group of people who will do what? Who will reject your ministry. Make sense? They will. It's inevitable. You can't avoid it. Because there's a lot of deceivers. Many, he said in Matthew 6. Paul says the same thing in, in, in chapter, end of chapter 3 of, of Philippians. Same idea. Read Jude, the whole book. Second Peter, the whole book, and you will recognize that there is going to be a prominent amount of people that will name the name of Jesus, but they will be people who have a form of godliness, to quote Second Timothy chapter 3, but they will deny the power thereof. Does that make sense? So he says share in suffering and the reason why he says that is because suffering is there's only one word to put next inevitable it's inevitable that's what paul's trying to get across if you are being strengthened by the grace that is in christ jesus you will minister and the call is to minister but how could you not if you're, if you're being strengthened in grace? If you're being strengthened in Christ, how could you but minister? What, what is your line of strength? Make sense? And the result is going to be suffering. Now, it is important to recognize the first word is what? In verse 3, first word. Share. Now, that has several aspects. Share and suffering has several aspects. The first and most prominent one is you, when you share in suffering, you're sharing with the one who did suffer for you. So if you suffer for Christ, it's because you're, you're receiving the grace that is in Christ, so therefore you're receiving the grace that is in the one who suffered for you, and so you're sharing in suffering with him. Does that make sense? 
declares a privilege. Number two, tying back to chapter one, if you are sharing in the suffering, you're sharing with who? Chapter one. Paul. Exactly. You're sharing with Paul. He's in prison for the gospel. He's been beaten repeatedly with rods. He's been stoned. He's been thrown into prison. This is later in his life, so all that's already happened. He's in prison right now again. And when he says share in suffering, he's talking about with him secondarily. First Christ, second Paul. But thirdly, when he says share in suffering, here's what he's trying to get across. Timothy, minister to faithful people who will then minister to others also. The others also, of course, are unfaithful people. Timothy, share in suffering with others in your church who are faithful ones. Because they will suffer as well. They will suffer as well. Share in suffering with them. How could how would it be possible that you would suffer for being faithful by being strengthened in the grace? And they wouldn't. Or that they wouldn't, you wouldn't. Share in suffering. Could I just stop on this one for a second? Before we get to the rest of the verse and the next verse and ask a real potentially painful question. It's an important question for all of us to ask ourselves. It is this. Are you suffering for Jesus? Now, we don't need to go out and say, okay, I've got to find a way to suffer for Jesus today. That's really easy. Right? All you got to do is get obnoxious. Does that make sense? And we probably have known people like that. But he's talking about results. He's not talking about going out and doing this. This is just the inevitable result. Well, if it's the inevitable result that suffering happens for faithful people because they're being strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus and they're ministering, then I need to ask all of us to ask this question. Are you suffering for Jesus? I'm not talking about suffering because of finances. I'm not talking about suffering because your boss doesn't like you. I'm not talking about suffering because you got physical problems. I'm not talking about suffering because um, lost dreams... Lost hopes, dashed hopes, whatever the case may be. That's what we're talking about here. Are you suffering because you're being strengthened with the grace that's in Christ Jesus? And the result of you being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus you find yourself impelled by the Spirit of God to minister to people, to minister Christ into people's lives, to point them to Jesus, to remind them of Jesus, to speak the gospel into each other's lives. Are you suffering? Are you? I'm, it's not an accusation. I'm just asking a question. So I'm just asking the question, are you? Because you see, if we work it backwards, we can equally say, if I start with, I'm not suffering for the cause of Christ, for Jesus, I don't find myself regularly suffering. What 
once in a great while, it's like occasionally I get a a um, a sliver in my hand. It's not like Ken; he gets slivers all the time. But once in a while, I get a sliver in my hand. But it's not real common. Once in a great, great while, once or twice a year, oh man, I got a sliver. Now this is all the time. This is the regular occurrence. It's just the common thing. If I'm not suffering, I need to ask myself a question. If I'm not suffering, the obvious question is why not? Because he says elsewhere in the scriptures, what? All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. Within the church and outside the church. All those in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a pretty inclusive statement. He does use the word all there. So we need to ask ourselves first, am I suffering? If I'm not saying that I'm suffering and sharing in the suffering, then I need to ask myself, why am I not? Why not? Now, I've got to tell you something. That's an easy, easy answer. It's a very easy answer. It's one of two things. Either I am not ministering to people because I'm controlled by fear, chapter 1, and that's not from the Spirit of God. That's from the Spirit of the evil one. So I'm controlled by fear, so I'm not ministering to anyone. Or, more insidious even than that, is I am being so careful on anybody I will speak truth to that I, I will only speak truth to those who I'm safe with that I know I will not in any way experience any persecution and that's not legitimate ministry just isn't it's not legitimate that's evil that's deception that's self-deception so if I find myself either not ministering regularly to people or just doing that safety thing all the time then I have to ask myself one more question. And the real question I need to ask myself is, am I being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Now that's a painful process. That's a really, really painful process. The reason why I, I reverse the whole process is because too often we will either say, oh, yeah, I'm really guilty, and so i got to go out and suffer, or, yeah, I feel really guilty, so i got to go out and minister. And the reality is, no, I, what I really need, if I'm, if I'm feeling guilty, it's because I am guilty. Do you realize that? If I'm feeling guilty by that whole digression I just talked about there when we reversed it, it's because I am guilty. I'm absolutely, I stand guilty. I am either not saved or I have really allowed myself to participate, in, to participate in the cooling of my heart. The hardening of my heart. Hebrews. I've wandered astray and forgotten about Jesus. I need to repent and come back to Jesus. Because I've, I, I have decided not to follow Jesus. 
I've decided turning back isn't such a bad idea. Quote that song. I interrupted a little bit. I've decided again that following Jesus isn't such a great idea. And turning back is a pretty great idea. Because there's safety there. And we forget that Jesus said anybody who puts his hand to the plow and looks back isn't fit for the kingdom of God. That's what he says. We need to repent and come back and taste and see that he is great once again. We need to come back and be reminded of the beautiful river, the beautiful stream, the beautiful spring that is flowing from Christ. We need to drink deeply of that. Are you suffering? Are you sharing in the suffering? Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers are designed to fight. That's what soldiers are. Soldiers aren't for ticker tape parades. Soldiers aren't for their dress uniforms. Soldiers aren't soldiers to have cool congressional meetings where they sit there all dressed up with all their medals and answer questions. Soldiers suffer. The very definition of a soldier involves an enemy of the soldier. It has to, otherwise he's not a soldier. How can a soldier be a soldier with no enemy? Well, it wouldn't make any sense. A soldier is a soldier because there's enemies of the soldier, but not so much for the soldier. The soldier is a soldier because there's enemies, not just of the soldier, but of the ruler of the soldiers. And because he's the enemy of the ruler of the soldiers, he's the enemy of the soldier. And so he says here in verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Now, before we get off that passage, we definitely need to think through this a little bit more. If we're not suffering, if we don't find ourselves suffering, we're not ministering, we're not being strengthened in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. We're not a soldier. We're not a good soldier, that's for sure. We're not a soldier. You know, in effect, what we're saying? We're trying to play soldier, but lying to ourselves and saying there's no enemy. Think that through for a second. A good soldier knows there's an enemy. A good soldier knows the enemy is safe or dangerous. Dangerous. A good soldier is training all the time to deal with the enemy. The soldier is all the time working on trying to identify where the enemy is and what the enemy is after, right? But more importantly than that, he's tuned into his commander, in this case, He's a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So a good soldier is tuned into Christ. As a result of being tuned into Christ, he sees the contrast with the enemy. That's the point. The enemy stands as an absolute contrast in every way. He's the 
He's described as darkness. Christ is described as light. Christ is described as righteousness. The enemy is described as unrighteousness. Right? Kind of a contrast. As I'm a good soldier of Christ, I'm going to more and more recognize the evils of the evil one and his kingdom. As I become more and more in tune by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and I'm being strengthened by it, I'm going to start recognizing more and more the contrasting kingdoms. This is kingdom of darkness. That's kingdom of light. I'm a soldier for kingdom of light. That person is kingdom of darkness person. This person is kingdom of light person. Righteous. Or, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, faithful. Teach faithful men. A person of this kingdom, right? That person is a kingdom of darkness. And then I got these other people who are seemingly unfaithful. I'm not sure what kingdom they're in. Right? I'm not sure if if they're for us or against us. I can't tell. And so what do I have to do? As a good soldier, if I'm a good soldier of Christ because I'm strengthened by the graces in Christ, you're going to look at this person and say, Ah! I don't know. In God's kingdom, in Satan's kingdom, I don't know. Good soldier does what? What? Somebody said something. He finds out. Right? If you're a good soldier of Christ, you're recognizing who Christ is and you're being strengthened by the graces in Christ, you're saying, whoo, I don't know what's up with that one. I better find out. Because if he's kingdom of darkness, I want to understand that. Because it is about kingdoms. I want to figure that out so I can know if he's the enemy or not. And if he's of the enemy, then I want to try to rescue him into the kingdom of light. Or better said, I want to see him rescued into the kingdom of light. I want him to be someone who is being strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus because I am being strengthened in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And I look at others that are faithful. They're in the kingdom. Woo! You're in the kingdom. I'm in the kingdom. Let's fellowship in the kingdom together. Let's fellowship in our commander together. In, let's fellowship in the grace. Let's together be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Doesn't that make sense? That's what he says here in verse 3. Share in suffering like a good soldier. of Christ Jesus. I mean, think about it. Let's get to a foxhole mentality. There's a foxhole over here. Okay? And, 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 and a buddy of yours is there. Make sense so far? And you're in the next foxhole over about six, eight feet away. Here's you. And you can tell that the enemy is focused on your buddy. Make sense so far? The bullets are flying towards him. Maybe they didn't figure out you're there yet. Whatever. Let's say, for sake of example, they didn't figure out you're there. You're six, eight feet away. They didn't know you're there. They just knew he was there because he's got his machine gun. He's going, 
Don't you love guy sounds? And you're over here, and you're seeing, if you're a good soldier, do you say, <laughs> bummer for you, Hal? Is that what you say? What does a good soldier do? What? He starts, what do you do? As a good soldier, you jump up with your machine, you go, bah, bah, you're trying to kill the enemy to protect Hal over here. And next thing you know, all the, because Hale's kind of ducked down because he's getting, he's getting toasted. And next thing you know, all the enemy fire's coming at you. And what does Hale do? As a good soldier, he does what? He starts firing back as well, doesn't he? Doesn't that make sense? You're not a good soldier if you're in your foxhole and you see him getting shot at. You're like, man, bummer, I'm glad I'm over here and not there. Whoa, six, eight feet makes all the difference, doesn't it? happen that's a great way to lose a war it's a great way to lose a war now suffer share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus now if we're really going to get the picture here what he says when he says share in suffering the focus is not in sharing and suffering Hale's over here you're over there they need to share in suffering. That's not the real focus. It says next, as a good soldier. And here we are, we're talking about soldiering. That's not the primary focus. As a good soldier is not the primary focus of the verse. The primary focus of the verse is what? Did you see it? Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. The whole focus is who is Christ, and why is he so worthy of our worship? The whole focus is, because I don't know if I'm a good soldier. You don't know if you're a good soldier, unless we know our commander. If we're not following what our commander says, we could be shooting our friends. Right? We absolutely could. We could do all sorts of stupid things out on the battlefield. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. It's all linking back to verse 1 again, being a recipient of God's grace and being strengthened by that God's grace, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. Which takes us to verse 4. As he starts unpacking a little bit more, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. <coughs> it's an interesting perspective that he gives here. No soldier... Can I just add a little piece of word in there that, that he doesn't give at this point? No soldier that's worth his salt... <laughs> No soldier that's worth anything. I mean, there's some useless soldiers, right? He's not talking about those kind of soldiers. He's talking about verse 3 soldiers, good soldiers. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. I don't know if you are, how many of you have ever seen Kelly's Heroes? Kind of a fun show. Anybody seen that movie? I see one person shaking their head over here. Anybody else see Kelly's Heroes? Great movie. Anyway, it's all fiction. It's really kind of funny. 
But in the movie, what they have, they have one of their leaders, I think he's a lieutenant or something like that, and these soldiers are fighting. Now, they're fighting for all the wrong reasons. That's a whole other issue. <coughs> but the lieutenant is only interested in one thing. And the one thing the, the lieutenant's interested in is trying to figure out a way to get a sailboat shipped back to the States that he found in a garage or a barn or something. And he's trying to figure out any way possible to get that sailboat. If, if he's got to take it apart piece by piece, whatever, he's got to get that sailboat back over to the States. Here, what does he say? No soldier, implication, good soldier from verse 3, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. He doesn't get, out, get caught up in things that don't have anything to do with soldiering. Thank you. He doesn't get caught up in anything that doesn't have anything to do with soldiering. In other words, to play off the Kelly's here, he doesn't get caught up in trying to ship a sailboat back to the States from Germany. Doesn't do that. Now, a soldier may use the sailboat, right, for any type of soldiering things. Does that make sense? He may find value to that sailboat for a soldiering thing, maybe to hide behind it, to get across a, a river, the Rhine River at night maybe. I don't know. There can be a number of reasons why you could use a sailboat in the middle of war. But one thing a good soldier doesn't do is try to figure out how to get the sailboat home. That's civilian pursuit. It doesn't, the, the idea is not that a soldier can't do anything that isn't actually shooting guns. That's not the point. The point that he's trying to make is that a good soldier does what? Everything he does from the time he gets up in the morning to the time he gets to bed at night is to ask himself one big question. What do I need to be involved in that is soldiering stuff? Can this be interpreted in light of soldiering stuff? Can that activity be interpreted in light of soldiering stuff? Th this right here, more specifically, this thing, this activity, this piece, this, this, this property, this thought I have, whatever it may be, what does this have to do with the battle? What does it have to do with the battle? If it doesn't have anything to do with the battle, what's the point of it? It is by definition, therefore, detrimental to the battle. If it's not for the battle, it's detrimental to the battle. It can't be neutral because there's a battle being waged. There's a war going on. It either is for the battle, to aid the battle, to aid the advancement of the war, or its purpose is to be detrimental, a distraction from the battle and the war. So he says, any soldier, here, reference good soldier, does not get involved in civilian affairs. Does God call us soldiers if we're believers? Absolutely. Constantly. It's all over the place. We're called soldiers. And what he says here, Paul tells Timothy this, and by extension, all those faithful ones. 
he calls Timothy to, to understanding of this idea that if you're a soldier, because going all the way back to verse 1, because you're a recipient of God's grace and you're being strengthened by the graces in Christ Jesus, that person views life very differently. If you ever know a soldier, you know they do. Would you agree, Ken? Yeah. They view everything differently. Because everything's interpreted according to what their commander said about it, what the objectives are, what the goals are, what the purpose is. It's all interpreted that way, which should draw a really strong remembrance to all of us. We quoted it in Sunday School Hour. I've quoted it many, many times. Romans chapter 11, verse 36. All things are from him and through him and to him. To him be glory forever. Amen. That's the text that sums up Romans 1 through 12, 1 through 11. Now what Paul is saying here is this. A good soldier is someone who, faced with an object, a desire, thought, words, opportunities, hopes, dreams, plans, whatever it may be. A good soldier doesn't get involved in civilian affairs. What he does is he looks at everything and he asks, how does this fit into the war effort? How in the world does this fit into the war effort? You know, in World War II, it was very interesting. As the war went on, Life got tough in America. It got real tough. And as the war went on, more and more in the United States, they started thinking of along the lines of how to advance the war effort. You know what they started doing? They started recycling for the first time. You had rubber, you had an old tire, <laughs> off it went for the war effort. <coughs> you had some tin, off it went for the war effort. You need to buy things like that. It was hard to buy rubber for tires. Hard. You need a tin for something? Fat chance you're going to get a hold of that. It wasn't available. There's almost no cars made from 41 to 45. Why? Because the factories were on a war footing and they were manufacturing tanks and airplanes and things like that for the war effort and if you want to get gas for your vehicle you, know what you needed i got my grandfather's at home you need ration cards and stamps you can only get so much if you're a farmer you got a little more because you were involved in the what in the war effort, raising food, not primarily for the civilians, but for the war effort. Everything revolved around the war in every way. And of course, once the war was over, 45, it was all gone. But my point is that a good soldier does not get entangled, God says, in civilian affairs. 
And if you're a soldier, and if I'm a soldier of Jesus Christ, and we are, if we're believers, he says that nothing in our lives is appropriately separated from being a soldier. You got a job? You know what that job is for? Ah, lo and behold, you know what it isn't for? You know what it's not for? It's not for your comfort and ease. Do you realize that? If you've got a job, it's not for your retirement account. Nothing wrong with having a retirement account. It's not for that. Got a job? It's not for your advancement. You know what it's for? It's for the war. That's what it's for. You own a house? You know what that house is for? Not to keep your stuff dry. Do you realize that? Your house exists if all things are from him, through him, to him, to him be glory forever. That means that house is from him. Does that make sense? It's from him. That's what he says. All things are from him, through him, to him, to him be glory forever. Amen. That means the house you own or rent or whatever the case may be, it's from him. And through him, and it is also to him, from him, through him, to him, so that the result of that house being in your life, God is glorified. It's a war. It's a war. You have a car? That car is not primarily just for transportation to get you back and forth to your work. You realize that? It's from him. It's through him. It's to him. For him be glory forever. Amen. You see, if I view my car as merely transportation to get me to and from work and to and from restaurants and to and from the shopping mall and to and from my friend's house, and that's the end of the discussion, civilian Pursuits. That's what he's saying. That's civilian pursuits. Going to the mall? Well, the mall exists. It's from him, through him, to him. Him be glory forever. Amen. Going to the mall? That's for the glory of God. No, Steve, it's just going to shopping for a shirt. No. That's civilian pursuits. You may end up with a shirt on the way home, right? You may buy a shirt. That's cool. Nothing wrong with that. Do well, I want you to run around naked? Need to buy a shirt? Buy a shirt. You go into the Philadelphia Premium Outlets? You're not going for a good deal. You're going to glorify God. See the difference? And you may ask the question, yeah, but Steve, come on, how? You know what our problem is? We never even ask that question. Our problem isn't primarily figuring out how. Our problem is we don't even ask the question. Too often we don't even ask it. We're caught so caught up in civilian affairs, we don't even ask the question. If I'm asking the question and wrestling with the answer, you know what? I'm being strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I'm seeking ways to glorify God and being a good soldier by his strength. 
no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Sense, his aim is to please, p please the one sitting next to him. A soldier who's a good soldier is someone who recognizes the one sitting next to them. Now today we get it all screwed up because we have enlisters and then we have generals and everybody else. In that day, it was the general that enlisted you. <laughs> it's the general who call it, the call it, call it, called you and pulled you in. Today, it's Joe Schmuck get the enlistment office. But if you get the historical perspective, the one in who enlisted in that day was the head dude. soldier's aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And when you think about our biblical perspective, he enlisted me. He enlisted me. Think about this. He enlisted me when I was an enemy of the cross. He enlisted me when I was an enemy of Jesus Christ. He enlisted me when I despised and rejected him. He enlisted an enemy. Do you realize that? I was, in, I was in the kingdom of darkness, and he enlisted me into the kingdom of light. He rescued me. He redeemed me from the evil one. He made me alive even though I was dead in my trespasses and sins. No general would ever go to the enemy camp and enlist people. That's what Jesus did. That's what he did. He went to the kingdom of darkness and enlisted me who could do nothing but serve my old master. And he changed me. And he made me alive. So that even though at one point I hated and despised him, just like Saul did on the road to Damascus. And then everything changed. He was enlisted. And for Saul, who became Paul, only one thing else mattered, pleasing the one who enlisted him. And I want to remind you, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It is. Because of the grace that he's pouring out to you and strengthening you. As a soldier, have you gotten caught, in, caught up in civilian pursuits? I guarantee you, you can tell very quickly if you have. I just want to close on this. You can tell very quickly if you have. <coughs> are you, starting at the end of verse 4, are you desiring more than anything else to please the one who enlisted you? That's what he says. He desires only to please the one who enlisted him. Are you getting caught up in civilian pursuits? 
are you <coughs> recognizing the beauty of being in Christ Jesus? Are you sharing your suffering? Are you teaching people? Are you being strengthened in the grace of Jesus Christ? You know, one of the themes of the scriptures is that we are people who need to continuously come back and repent and believe. We need the gospel today, don't we? We need to be reminded that Christ came to save sinners. Right? We need to be reminded that we are people who are prone to wander. We need to be reminded that <coughs> we are people who the very things we know we shouldn't do, those are the very things we do. And the very things we know we should do, those are not the things we do or recognize that we are. Right? Who will set us free? We need to be reminded of that truth. Thanks be to God in Christ Jesus who sets us free. We need to be reminded Romans chapter 8 then right after that there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So can I just invite you if you recognize that I'm not bad. God is still gracious. He's still faithful. He still calls. And our, our task is to come back to him. In your confession this morning the word return came up. We need to do, we need to return. Remember and return. God is always faithful to his covenant. Remember and return. And you will find that out of you will flow rivers of living water. Can I close with just this, verse 7? The final challenge of this morning. Think over what I say. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. If you're in Christ, if you're a recipient of grace, think over what Paul has said here. Think over it. Chew on it. Don't let it go. Don't do what we usually do on Sunday mornings. By lunchtime, it's gone. Don't do that. Paul specifically says, think on these things. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. You want to understand what it means to be strengthened in God's grace and the grace that's in Christ Jesus? Think on these things. You want to understand what it means to teach and who needs to be taught? Think on these things. <coughs> you want to understand what it means to share in suffering? Think on these things. You want to understand what it means to be a good soldier in Christ Jesus? Think on these things. You want to understand what it means to be caught up in civilian pursuits and what it means not to? Think on these things. You want to understand what it means to have an aim to please the one who enlisted them? Think on these things. And God has promised. He's promised that he'll give you understanding. Promised. By the way, that takes all the way back to verse 1. That's the grace that strengthens. He's promised it. 
you will understand and you will be transformed and you will be a good soldier and Christ will be glorified and all things will be from him, through him, to him, to him be glory forever. Amen. Oh, yeah, you'll suffer. But you'll see it's really, really worth it because he's worth it. Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, thank you. These are easy verses to understand and yet very, very difficult verses to understand. Thank you for giving them to us. Thank you for challenging us. These would be hopeless verses apart from the reality and the truth that you are the giver of grace. These would be absolutely condemning verses except that you've promised that if we seek you, we'll find you. If we seek you with all our hearts. These would still be absolutely hopeless verses, except you've promised to change a heart. And yet they would still be absolutely hopeless verses, except that you've promised that you're a God of mercy. And these verses remind us that we need a merciful God. So we ask you to change us. Help us to know our King. Change our hearts so that we desire our King. Change our hearts so that fear no longer rules because we're being strengthened by your grace. And we ask you to fulfill your promises to pour out your grace on us as you have already done. So we ask you to glorify yourself, transform us for your glory. In your name I pray, amen.